Hey guys, you're listening to episode 11 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we're going to be addressing a question from one of our listeners about what advice we would have for college students interested in the Finish Line Pledge. Stay tuned to hear our thoughts. My name is Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we have another Q&A episode where we're going to try to answer questions from our community of listeners about setting a financial finish line. We've talked with a number of college students who have expressed interest in the finish line pledge, but aren't sure where to start. You know, college is an interesting time because for many, you may not have much of an income and your monthly expenses often look very different than they do when you get out into the world. Keel and I are going to take some time today to talk through what we wish we knew when we were in college and some practical steps you can take to get started off right. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you about our finish line sprints. If you've been getting a lot out of this podcast and are looking for a way to take you to the next level, then you should consider starting or joining a sprint. A sprint is a guided program for small groups meant to lead you through the overarching biblical themes related to wealth and money while allowing you to explore the restored freedom and purpose that comes with choosing a financial finish line. The Sprint Guide is completely free and available on our website at finishlinepledge.com sprint. Sprints are also completely self-led, so you don't need a trained leader or someone who's been through the program before. All you need are a couple friends to get started. So check it out and get a group together today. And with that, let's get started. Hey, Keelan, it's good to be back for another episode here. Obviously, today we're going to be talking about our advice for college students and some things that we wished we knew when we were in college. And I think we both found that those first couple of years out of college really set the tone for the direction of our careers and a lot of the habits that we have, especially where finances are concerned. So why don't you get us started and share what you would tell someone in college right now? Yeah, I think that that's a great point about the fact that those first couple of years right out of college are a very critical time where you're kind of entering the real world and a lot of the practices and ways that you handle money and wealth during that time sets a huge precedent for what things look like for you going forward. One thing that comes to mind right off the bat is actually a passage from a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And I just want to take a second to read the passage here. It says, For me as a boy, one of the most gripping illustrations my fiery father used was the story of a man converted in old age. The church had prayed for this man for decades. He was hard and resistant. But this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. At the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came back and took my father's hand. They sat down together on the front pew of the church as people were being dismissed. God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ, and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him from sobbing and saying, as the tears ran down his wrinkled face, and what an impact it made on me to hear my father say this through his own tears. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. This was the story that gripped me more than all the stories of young people who died in car wrecks before they were converted, the story of an old man weeping that he had wasted his life. In those early years, God awakened in me a fear and a passion not to waste my life. 
The thought of coming to my old age and saying through tears, I've wasted it, I've wasted it, was a fearful and horrible thought to me. And I remember when I first read that passage, that passage had a really strong impact on me because I really resonated with that idea of not wanting to get to the end of my life and look back on everything and realize that I had just accidentally made it all the way through life without ever actually doing anything. And, you know, for me, when I got out of college, I spent a year as an engineer, but I already knew I was going to be applying to med school. And so I had the four years of med school after that, and then five years of residency, and then uh, becoming an attending physician. And so, so much of my life was defined by phases and the next step and the next benchmark to reach. It was really easy for me, and it has been really easy for me to always defer taking any kind of action until that next phase. You know, I just got to get through med school. I just got to get through my intern year of residency, and, and then things will be okay. And I can start whatever it is reading the Bible, start giving generously, start whatever it is. And I think everybody struggles with that idea. And, you know, especially for college students, so much of the life of a college student is defined by that same kind of mentality. I just got to make it through exam season. I just got to make it to the summer. Just got to make it to winter break, whatever it is. And it's really easy to get into that mentality of putting off the things that are actually most important in life until that next phase. But it never actually comes. And I think that's something that I wish I knew in college because it took me most of the time since I've been in college to really come to that understanding that that next phase where everything becomes easy and you have all the time in the world to do what you care about most and want to do it never actually comes and the things that really matter you really need to start doing now yeah i think that's so true and for me that next phase looks different at every step but there's always a next phase and i'm always going to be things are always going to be better when i reach that next phase but it hasn't happened yet. I've never reached that steady state where everything's good and you know I can finally start doing all those things that I've been ready to do for years and putting off. And actually, the Bible talks about this same concept. It's funny that we have to learn all our lessons ourselves, but the whole book of Ecclesiastes is this exact concept. It's King Solomon who had reached the top of the top of the top. He had enormous wealth, enormous power. You know, he had everything and he said, it, you know what, it's not enough. I haven't reached that next phase. I haven't reached that point that I've been hoping to reach. And I think that's what, you know, you and I are trying to say. And it's it's been in there all the way since the Old Testament. And so it's likely to continue being true for everyone else going forward, that it's really easy to be caught into that cycle of just got to make it until X. I think there's a temptation to always be very focused on your own personal growth and reaching for success, whatever that looks like in your life. But when you spend most, if not all of your life focused on you, then I think you miss out on that bigger story going on around you that God really wants you to be a part of. Yeah, that's very true. And I think that goes right along with that whole phases of life idea is the whole idea that you have your story and you're walking through that story and you're trying to figure out what your next step is and what that means for you and in your family. And, you know, that's so much focused inward. And that has been true of me for much of my life. And I think it's true of a lot of us. 
And our culture actually defines a lot of that for us. We live in an intensely individualistic culture where it is all about our story and following your path and remaining true to yourself, not so much about the bigger picture of all the people around us and you know our collective story. But that's exactly what the Bible is. The Bible is the collective story of God and what he's doing. And we are all characters in God's story. And I think that that's another thing that has taken me a long time. And I feel like I'm still learning this lesson over and over, that idea that my story is, you know, the most important story in any way or at context, because that's not true. God's story is the story that matters. And everything has always been about God's story. And so I think the times in life that have been most fruitful and fulfilling for me are the times where I was most aware of God's story and the big picture of what he's doing and tried to align myself with what God is doing rather than trying to forge my way ahead in my own story or asking God to help me in my story. You know, related to that idea of story, it's very easy, I think, especially for people who are not in vocational ministry, for Christians who are not in vocational ministry, to feel like your job is your story. And this is especially true, I think, for college students who have not really had a career yet, they're about to embark on a career, is thinking that they're about to embark on their story, and that all of their story centers around their job and what that's going to look like, and trying to make sure that they're job aligns with their calling. And, you know, all of that stuff is good and important. But I have definitely realized that that has been a huge theme in probably the last five years or so of my life is realizing that my job, and I'm a doctor, I'm in medicine, is not my story. And it's not the dominant thing that I think of when I think about how God might use me in his story. And certainly, it's a big part of my life. I spend a lot of my time at my job and serving patients, etc. But that's not the only side of me and the only way that I think God is using me. And I think it's really easy to get into that trap as a college student where, you know, everything in front of you is an open book, you know, an unwritten story and feeling like what you choose as your job and your career is going to be your the defining centerpiece of your story, because I don't think that it is for most of us. Yeah, for me, that was such a pivotal time of my life trying to discover who am I. And I had to learn to separate what I do or what I want to do from my identity, who I am. And I think your ability to earn money is really tied into what I do. So if you don't separate what I do from who I am, then your capacity to earn a lot of money has a lot to do with your self-worth and your identity. And I think that's kind of a, a toxic cycle that can get you really pulled off track. But when thinking back to my own college experience in those first couple of years out of college, I had a couple things that I wanted to address specifically that might be helpful for people who are feeling this way right now. When I think back to why did I go to college in the first place, I think there was a felt expectation since I was born that I ought to go to college and that that's going to be a pathway to bigger salary, more success, whatever it looks like. And so my goal was to do whatever it took to put myself in the best position to get the best job. And largely the best job meant the highest earning job. 
So I think for people in college who are paying money in the form of tuition and rent, room and board, all of that kind of stuff, you may be taking on debt of upwards of 100000 or more. And there's this unspoken expectation that by investing those dollars, you're going to earn significantly more and it will be a worthwhile trade-off. Even if you graduate with student loans over the course of your career, that will have been a positive investment. So when I was a senior and I was applying for jobs, it seemed to me that salary came first and job satisfaction was important, but a distant second. And really, I wanted to take the job that offered the best pay that I felt I could tolerate until I could discover my calling or do what I was really passionate about. So I think there is a temptation there to make major career decisions right down to what major I selected based on my expectation of being able to earn a high salary. So in my story, I started pre-med and was kind of forced out of pre-med by a combination of factors, but I didn't do well. I didn't like it. And I knew I had to make a change. So by sophomore year, I went through the mental gymnastics of saying, what is the next highest earning profession that I think I could tolerate? And I gravitated towards the business school and ultimately ended up studying economics and going into wealth management as a career. But when I look back at that year, I realized I was constantly comparing myself to all of my friends around me. And it made me reflect on all of my choices throughout college because I I had friends who were earning twice as much as me, if not more, and friends that weren't earning as much as I was going to earn. And that had a lot to do with how I felt about myself. And I'm very conflicted about that because it is important to earn a salary and to be able to pay down debt and to be able to start to work towards my financial goals. But I just wish that the compensation part of it wasn't so central to the way that I made decisions for several years. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, you ended up in a career that you enjoy doing. You you are a financial planner and you manage other people's wealth. And that was through that convoluted path that you ended up there. But it is work that you enjoy doing. And I think it's a great point that you can even be doing work that you enjoy and still feel deeply unsatisfied if you're constantly grading everything on a scale of salary and income and wealth accumulation. And I think that's kind of the core point that you're getting at there. And if you don't see that ahead of time, then I think you can spend a lot of your life in that kind of unsatisfied state, even if you're doing work that you deeply enjoy doing. I can think of lots of people who have expressed that same kind of sentiment. They're doing work that they actually enjoy, but still feel unsatisfied because, you know, saying things like, I wish it just paid a little bit more. And I think that the path that you're taking is kind of a natural path that our kind of culture and society is is built around is that constant climbing to uh, bigger and better. You know, you go through college to try to get the best possible job you can get and the highest paying job. And then from there on, all of your future career decisions are often based on money as well. And I mean, I can think of multiple examples of people who have started off in a job they like, like engineering or something like that, and then ended up getting promoted and promoted into management or some kind of position like that, that they don't even enjoy, 
but it just felt like the next most natural thing to do because that's what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to keep climbing and moving to bigger and better things. And I think that's one of the things that the finish line pledge really steps into. Yeah, I found that to be really true. And when I look back at how I ultimately ended up leaving my first job, it had a lot to do with salary. And it's taken me a long time to acknowledge that I thought that things just got stale after a year, a year and a half, and my job satisfaction had declined and I was bored at work. And I just thought I want to do something more interesting, more exciting, or some some change needed to happen. But when I really look back at what happened, I worked there for a year and I got a 5% raise and I thought I deserved and ought to have more of a raise. I felt underappreciated. And that comes right back to that idea that my income and my self-worth or my value were tied. But it was a large corporation. It was There was no ill intention behind it. It was a raise. I should have viewed it as a positive thing. I'm getting paid more than I was last year. But I couldn't help but feel that I deserved more. And my friends who are making more than me, how am I ever going to catch up to them? And how am I ever going to earn as much as they do? And that just had nothing to do with who I am. So I I ultimately left my first job feeling fairly unsatisfied. And I remember being very nervous to submit my letter of resignation to my boss. And I didn't know how he was going to take it. And I hadn't been there all that long. I didn't want to be that millennial that jumped around from job to job. So I felt like I was quitting. Well, I was quitting, but I gave my boss that letter and he said, oh, this is really unexpected. And I said, yeah, well, I'm going to work for a small practice and you know, I'm really looking forward to that. And I did really like this job, but uh, I just, I have to move on. And I didn't have a good reason. I didn't, I didn't realize at the time that it was, had so much to do with compensation. And I feel stupid saying that today, but I think that has a lot to do with it. But his response really stuck with me. He said, you know, if I could do what you're doing, go and work in a small practice and be so central in that relationship with clients directly, I would do it in a heartbeat. But I'm married, I've got kids, I've got a mortgage and bills to pay, and I can't shake up my income right now. It's I have stability, and I can't sacrifice that stability to go take a risk in my career. And I sensed through, I read between the lines and what he was saying is he was unhappy in his role. There was something else that he really wanted to be doing, but money was an obstacle. And that really stuck with me. And it made me feel like it's okay to make this decision. It's okay to feel this way. And ultimately, it really worked out for me. I love my job. I love where I work. And I feel very valued. And I feel that I'm compensated fairly. But that's not where it starts and ends. It has, it's the, it's the whole package. It's not just how big is my paycheck at the end of the day. It's, it's so much more than that. And I think setting a finish line has a lot to do with my ability to take that leap and, and separate my value from my ability to earn money. Yeah. I think there's probably a lot of people out there that could relate to your story. Well, I think that you know, as we get into the idea of a finish line, it's probably worth just reviewing what that looks like again from scratch. So, you know, like we have been saying, as your income goes up, 
you will, without any kind of other plan in place, you will naturally find a place for all that money, whether that's spending more and increasing your standard of living, or whether that's saving more, just continuing to put more and more away to build up that security and and safety blanket. And it really doesn't matter how much you have, you will always be able to allocate it into those categories. The idea of a finish line says, at some point, I am capping my standard of living. And above that point, I will no longer spend whatever else God gives us on myself and my family. And so what does that look like practically? That means basically saying there's a set monthly amount after which we won't spend any more on our expenses for that month. You know, basically a a maximum budget that we're willing to have. And whatever money that God gives us to manage on his behalf above that line goes into three buckets from there. It goes into aggressively paying down whatever debt that we have. It goes to saving for retirement. And it goes to giving, towards giving that away to use on others and advancing the the kingdom of God, bringing the gospel to the world. And in several other episodes, we've talked about how we kind of balance between all of those. So coming out of college is actually the very best time in your life to start going about the process of setting that finish line. If you think about it, the first year out of college is when you have your lowest standard of living to be happy. You know, you're, you just came out of four years of eating four-day-old cold pizza and living in a room <laughs> with nothing on the walls and being completely happy with that. And that's great. That's perfectly fine. Obviously, you don't need to continue living just like that for the rest of your life. But the point is, life is a little simpler at that stage. And, and you know, Allie and I, my wife Allie and I look back and when we were in that stage, that first year of marriage, we were really happy with a one bedroom apartment that had two rooms total and you know a very simple set of material things and you know we had everything that we needed we were happy our life we have four kids now is all a lot more complicated and we have a lot more needs but by recognizing at that point that with what we had we were happy that played a really big part in going forward and so it's much harder to set a finish line in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, where you've had so much time to build up what that minimum standard of living is required to make you happy. You know, both of us have been out of college for you know 10 years or so now and have already been through a couple phases of life. And each phase along the way, you kind of watch all the people around you ramp up one more standard of living. And I think that there, you know, some degree of ramping up makes sense. Like your finish line is a future goal when you're just starting out out of college. But at some point, there has to be a point where you have reached enough, you know, where that standard of living does not need to keep increasing as income keeps increasing. And if you haven't thought that through and thought ahead to that decision and discussed it with your spouse, if you're married or any of that process, then you will continue on right on past that line and you will continue just going one step at a time uh, with that standard of living increase, the slow lifestyle creep. And so that's why setting a finish line really early in your career can have significant benefits over the course of your life. Yeah, when Steph and I decided to set a financial finish line for ourselves in 2020, what really happened is it brought that next phase that we were always looking forward to right here into the present. And we 
were able to determine what is enough. And we literally knew that later in 2020, we were going to have enough. And that was such an exciting concept that we didn't have to spend the next 30, 40 years just striving after more and more and more. We have enough. And that has been one of the most freeing things that I've ever experienced. And it's completely changed the way that I see everything that has to do with my own personal financial situation. And it's it's freed us up to consider others' needs way more carefully because we have money that's allocated to helping those needs and serving those needs. So it really gave us for the early part of 2020, and I think a lot of college students coming out of college would likely experience the same concept of you have a goal in mind and it's not earn as much as possible until you retire. It's more, here's here's enough. And it might take me five years, it might take me 10 years to earn enough. And then everything on top is just gravy. And that allows you to pursue those things that you've been putting off and putting off, waiting for stability, waiting for that next phase. It really defines it clearly. And it releases you from that temptation to just stockpile more and more. And I think that's really the key difference in how I've been able to find such deep job satisfaction where I am today and where I was a few years ago. It has a lot more to do with how I view money than how satisfying my job was externally. Because I know that we have enough to meet our needs to cover our basic expenses and then a little bit extra to start to pursue the things that really give us life. And that's just a really great place to be. And if we were able to reach that by this point, then the rest of our careers is just going to be more and more of that. And it's not putting us at the center of everything we do and every decision that we make. It's really trying to be a participant and a player in God's story. And that has been one of the most exciting things that we've ever done. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you said the idea that that finish line might be much closer than you think. Because for somebody, you know, 21, 22 coming out of college, it's easy to think without this idea of a finish line, basically like I'm going to reach my point of being satisfied or, or being happy with where I am somewhere in my 50s probably. But both of us are quite a ways away from 50 and we have both reached that point of enough where we're happy with what we have and we can begin to use whatever else God blesses us with to really engage in his story and where he leads us with that and what he's calling us to do. And I think that can be very surprising for people to realize that once you really kind of look down at it all and realize how much do I really need? How much does my family need? It might be much closer than you think. And you may have even already passed that. And so that adds a huge degree of freedom. I know we've talked before about, you know, Ali is, is a wedding photographer, my wife. And when she started out, she was, you know, always trying to find more clients and be able to shoot more weddings and continue to build her business. But after a couple of years, when we passed our finish line, that changed her whole perspective on her career and her job and her business because she knew that every client that she took on every weekend that she she gave to a wedding we were just going to be giving that money away and so she was very clearly able to see 
with perspective how much work she needed to be doing to support our family and to fulfill her desire to be a photographer and to serve her clients well, and where the line was before she no longer enjoyed that work or doing that fourth weekend in a row or, you know, that kind of thing. And having a finish line gave her extreme clarity and perspective in that kind of decision-making process that I think would be almost impossible to try to sort out without a finish line. Cause there's always that allure of, you know, do I really want to turn down a several thousand dollar wedding just to be home with my family? It's just one day, you know, maybe I can just do one more weekend or something like that. But she's able to really clearly see that. And I think that applies to so many different people's jobs, decisions on promotions or career switches and things like that. It affects so much of your career, you know, your income and and the salary that's attached to that. And especially with the idea that you could be hitting your finish line very early on in life, you have so much freedom then for the rest of your life to pursue the type of work and the amount of work that brings you uh, true satisfaction and be able to use the rest of your time and energy and money for whatever God calls you into. Right. And I found that just like however much space you have in your home determines how much stuff you'll have, you'll always fill it up. However much income you have, you'll always find a way to spend it. Your budget will expand to every last dollar of your income unless you do something about it and make a decision before you get that income in your account. So I wanted to change paces here and talk about some very practical advice that we can give college students who are getting out into the world, earning some money, and they have a lot of freedom and opportunities and decisions to make. And that can be really exciting, but also potentially a little dangerous if you're not careful. And the first thing that comes to mind is to avoid unnecessary consumer debt. Now, a lot of people are coming out of college with some degree, maybe a lot of student loans, and that's somewhat normal today in America. But adding more debt on top of it is certainly not advisable. And I understand that there's certain things that you might have to get. You might have to get a car and you might have to borrow money to get that car. It depends on your situation. But unnecessary consumer debt, especially credit card debt, can really sink you in these early years and set the tone, like we talked about, of how you interact with money and your tolerance for debt. And I've seen people get totally swallowed up by their debt, and it's a very defeating feeling to be in that situation. So basically, don't borrow money that you don't have to buy something that you don't need. That's that's just really probably good advice for anyone, but in these early years, when you haven't experienced the consequences of collections agencies calling you or owing penalties or extra taxes because you didn't manage debt well, because you didn't know better, we just think that's avoidable if you can really use your discretion and wisdom to not take on any debt that you don't need to in these early years. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And especially credit card debt. There's probably almost no good reasons to carry credit card debt. It's super high interest and it adds up so quickly and is damaging so quickly. It's just about never worth your time to take on credit card debt that you can't pay off at the end of the month when the bill comes out. Another thing related to that, you know, you mentioned student loans. Obviously, you need to 
be paying your loans down consistently. Once you get out of college, you're going to have a minimum payment and you have to make that payment every month. The way that we talk about addressing student loans in the context of a finish line is once your income passes that finish line, start aggressively paying down those loans because I can't tell you how many people I've heard say that they wish they could give more, but they aren't able to because of the loans they have holding them back. And I've shared our story before about aggressively trying to avoid taking out loans for med school because we knew how much it would prevent us from being able to give to the degree that we wanted to give. And so we recommend paying those down as soon as you can with any excess that you have to give you that kind of freedom. Right. So debt definitely needs to be managed very carefully and should be avoided unless it's absolutely necessary. But the second piece of advice that I'm so glad that you told me about, Keelan, is to start saving for retirement early. And even before I entered the wealth management industry and understood why this was such a good idea, you told me, hey, you ought to open up that Roth IRA and just start dropping money in there and you'll figure out the rest. But establish that behavior, get in a good habit, and it will only serve you well. And that has been very, very true because those dollars that you save at the earliest point in your career are going to do the most work when setting you up for retirement. And by doing a little bit today, you're going to save yourself a ton of hard work and trouble later on in your career if you push this off, if you're waiting for that someday when things are stable and you can afford to save. You just have to make it priority today and you have to plan your lifestyle around saving for retirement, just like you have to plan around paying down your debt. It just has to be a priority to you early on. Yeah, both Allie and I started saving for retirement early, and that compound interest really does add up quickly, especially when you multiply that over decades of your career. So I strongly encourage that as well. The last thing that we should mention is, you know, we talk about once you're over that finish line, paying down all your debt, and then using all of that excess towards giving and towards supporting others, your community, and and God's work throughout the world. But I think it's important to mention that even when you are not up to that finish line, it is a very good and healthy practice to still get in the habit of tithing or giving 10% of whatever you earn. And I think that is really important in beginning some of those early heart changes that come with separating your hands from some of that money and wealth that comes through them. I do think that while giving away 10% of your income to your local church sounds like a lot, it really ought to be the minimum standard of giving for Christians. And that's why the concept of giving away all income above a finish line that we've selected isn't really that daunting for you and me because we got in the habit of tithing and the natural result is a desire to give away more and to impact others even more by giving on top of that tithe. So again, a lot of these concepts are discussed more in depth in other podcast episodes. But if you're in college and you're saying, hey, this is pretty interesting. You have my attention. How do I learn more? There's three different sources of information that could be very helpful. The first one, obviously, is read the Bible. If you are feeling a lot of tension and stress around how much money you're going to earn or how you're going to manage money or how you're going to learn about any of these topics, 
look at what the Bible says about money. And that's really what we did. We looked to scripture. We made a list of everything that we could find in scripture that had to do with money and greed and tithing and all of these topics. And by reading through all of it, we came to a lot of these conclusions that a lot of other Christians have also come to by doing the same exercise. So the primary source for you should be the Bible itself. The second thing I'll mention is also kind of an announcement that we are adapting the sprints for college students because we want to make this more specific for college students because they have their whole careers in front of themselves. They're picking their major, they're launching new careers. So keep an eye out for our sprints specifically for college students. And the third source of more information is this podcast itself. We are fielding questions as they come across like, what if my paycheck varies from month to month? Or how do I know how much to save for retirement? You'll come across these things in life and different episodes of this podcast will hopefully serve to answer some of those questions that you have about navigating life with a finish line. So that's all we have time for today. Hopefully we were able to give some helpful advice for college students specifically. But before we finish up, I wanted to share our manager minute for the day. Every week we try to share one quick idea for something you can give to right now with any money you've set aside to give away. Today's manager minute is on an organization called Faith Comes by Hearing. Did you know that 70% of all people live in predominantly oral communities and 50% can't read at a functional level? Faith Comes by Hearing prepares audio translations of the Bible in native languages for oral cultures, those who depend more on spoken word than written word. They have partnered with the Greater Bible Translation Community to work toward their incredible goal to have the New Testament translated in the heart language of 99% of the people in the world by year 2033. That would be an enormous step towards completing the Great Commission in our generation. Faith Comes by Hearing is also listed by ROI Ministry as one of the top 10 most effective ministries in the world, dollar for dollar. Check out more on their website at faithcomesbyhearing.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll try to answer them on one of our future episodes. Even better, join the conversation in our Finish Line Community Facebook group. There you can discuss your thoughts about recent episodes and ask questions about the Finish Line process. Starting this week, we're also going to start posting our upcoming episode topics in the group so we can hear your thoughts about each topic and hear specifically what you want us to discuss on the show. Finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com episode 11. That's it for today. We'll see you guys next week.